You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 115 called Skills and EdTech for Teachers and the Coaches Who Support Them. In this episode, we'll share 10 skills for teachers who use technology and the coaches that help them out. We'll also share some great EdTech to aid in both of these roles. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we are officially out of school, and it's, it's good to finally be there. Uh, this is a summer vacation that I am really looking forward to. I feel like we've been gone full blast for about two and a half years now without much of a break. Nick, how was the end of your school year? Uh, really good, and this is, like you said, much needed. I think the best part about it is knowing that when we hopefully come back next year, it's going to be maybe like the first normal feeling year in a long time. I know if, you know, even though I am sort of stepping away from any kind of educational preparation besides the podcast, of course, I am thinking about in the very, very deep depths of my mind what next year is going to be like. And I think people are really starting to settle back in. I see normal school standards starting to come back into play and people talking about getting back to like a true normal. Uh, We're referring, of course, to all of the remote teaching and hybrid teaching issues that have been stressing everybody out so badly. And I I think I finally see that starting to to slow down. So yeah, I'm doing great, man. And I'm happy to be here putting this episode together. Yeah. So some things have happened over the last couple of weeks. I did did register and attend the podcast summit that was held by the Teach Better uh, team. It was an amazing conference for edu podcasters. Uh, we had a lot of great speakers. It was a half-day PD, but I will tell you, I have gotten a lot of tips to take away. I mean, as a podcaster, as an educator, you always learn new things, ways to hone in on your craft to better it for the, um, you know, for the best, I guess. And uh, we had our keynote speaker, Danny Bauer, come in, and, you know, he's just a super laid-back guy, very nice guy. Uh, He was talking about uh, better leaders and better schools, and and basically his whole mastermind of unlocking talent within every school leader was the title of his presentation. There was a lot of takeaways there. Uh, We went through an exercise where... I never really thought of this, but you can set up a Google Sheet and have your, if you're doing a PD, just as like an icebreaker, you have everyone go in, sign in, put their name, put their contact information, their social media, and then the presenter just asks questions on the on the left-hand side. And the attendees have 30 seconds to come up with an answer. So... If some of the questions are something like, and this is a little different than the exercise that we did, but what is something you're really good at in education? Or what is an activity, share an activity that you're really good at? Um, Teachers can put their activity, a copy of it in there, and they can describe it and things like that. And then at the end of the, the PD, you have a whole plethora of awesome you know, best practices that teachers use in their classrooms. So that was an amazing one. Uh, the next one was with the EduTech guys, um, Jeff Matlock and David Henderson. I think I got that right. Uh, those guys are awesome. They have great radio voices, and they were talking about how to book guests on there and lots of takeaways there. Uh, some of it is just being personable to other people and, and, and not uh, feel the risk of failure. And I feel as teachers, we do the same thing. We try new things all the time, and we got to go in there knowing that it might fail, and that's okay. So great takeaways there. Uh, the next one was John Sowash, the uh, Chromebook Classroom podcast host. And he was talking about social media. 
And this is one that I, I really learned a lot about. I am not a social media guy through and through. I'm very active on Twitter, but all the other ones I know nothing about. But each platform is very different. So tying this into educators, we make our PLNs on these social networks. And each one is going to have a different feel and a different purpose. And one thing I learned is oftentimes when we throw out our podcast episode, we try to jam pack it full of links and hashtags and images and stuff like that. But really, it should just be a spot where people know that there's something there for you to share. And then you should do a sub tweet uh, on that same thread basically showing where people can go get that if they want to. But for the most part, people that are on Twitter want to stay on Twitter. So what's the best way to connect with a bunch of people out there? Make an infographic showing what that episode is about or a main takeaway of the episode. And if they want to go listen to it, they'll go listen to it. They'll find you. So I thought that was awesome. John is, is brilliant in what he does. And, you know, his just... Sharing his workflow is so valuable. Uh, the next one up was Jeff Bradbury. Uh, he talked a little bit about how to uh, take your podcast to the next level. So uh, this was a presentation that I've seen before. Jeff does a great job with it. There are a couple of new things. Uh, I had to actually leave towards the very beginning of it to go coach my sons uh, in their baseball games. But... That, that's another speaker that does a very nice job uh, in getting his message and getting these huge takeaways. So I learned a lot in this conference. Uh, this just goes to show you that, you know, even though it was something that was online with a bunch of people that I might have some connections to, but there were a lot of new people in there, I learned a lot. It was a great community, a great feel, and it was refreshing. I've been extremely tired the last third of the school year for multiple different reasons and I just felt this was refreshing it made me want to get back out there yeah that's a that's the best thing the best feeling you can have coming from a session like that and you know if I, did, I did not attend but I, you shared a lot of this stuff with me afterwards and I think the most interesting part is kind of this whole science that has developed around social media and the best ways to share things on the different platforms. Like in Twitter, it's best to share just an image and then in that subtweet beneath it is where you put your links so people who are interested can get access to that quickly. Whereas if you're posting something on Instagram, obviously that's very different and you are, I think, what did you say? For Instagram, it's stories, right? Everybody's just doing stories now. The, no one's really checking the feed. so. There's all this different stuff, and uh, what was the other one? Facebook is a place that's a, the long form is a little bit more acceptable, and, and that's a spot where you can put or should put links to things because people are more likely to click them. So it's just a whole world out there. I don't know. We could probably even pull like a whole episode that's just maybe social media for teachers and share some of these tips because it, it is fascinating, and there's a lot of teachers that are stepping in to this world right now, especially those of you listening to this episode today. Maybe this is a good segue because today we're talking about skills for the, I mean, really the tech coach, but also if you are a teacher who uses EdTech extensively, a lot of this is going to apply to you as well. But uh, we have noticed that a lot of the people, a lot of the teachers that are getting into the social media world and sharing things are the tech coaches, the ones that are there to support staff in implementing technology. And we got a whole great list of stuff for you. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and just going with that, Nick and I both started in our district as a classroom teacher. And we stepped up and we became passionate and interested in educational technology and integrating it into the classroom. So this really is for that type of teacher too. Maybe you're a teacher in your classroom that loves to use ed tech and other people in your department or other teachers within your school see you as an ed tech leader. This episode should resonate with you as well because these are the skills, these are the ed tech tools that Nick and I use 
on the daily when we work with teachers. That's right. And we called it, you know, the list is 10 things long, but as usual, in each of those 10, there's, I don't know, five to 10 different things. So you're gonna get a ton of stuff here. I'll start it off with number one, and these are all grouped as skills. Within those skills, we'll share some of our favorite EdTech tools or websites as we go. But number one, of course, is having knowledge in the field. So if you are a tech coach, obviously you know this already. If you're trying to be one, this is, what it really comes down to, I, I think of it as you got to have the goods. If somebody comes to you with a question and uh, they need help, you either have to have the answer or you have to know how to get it and get back to them. And if you can't do that, if you don't have that knowledge, you're probably not going to last in that role because that's what people need. They need solutions. They need fixes. You're the problem solver and you got to be ready for that. Some tips within that that we've got for people are, of course, developing a very strong PLN. Nobody can do this alone. There's just way too much to know. So you have to be connected. Like we talked about a little bit ago, you have to get involved with social media for just the constant inflow of what's new and ideas and sharing. A degree helps, of course. So you learn a lot of great stuff there with that. You, know, you can even get specific programs these days that are you know, master's degrees in educational technology. Um, e even more specific than that to a tech coach's role you can find programs for you know podcasts if you're listening to us right now you already know that but we figured mention it anyway you got to have some go-to ed tech podcasts because these are the people out there like us scouring the internet and, and raking up everything that we find that's worth sharing that's a great way to stay up to date and save yourself some time one of the biggest things i've found recently that i've always ignored is subscribing to email newsletters you know the best one is the uh, Google Updates newsletter where Google Workspace for Education sends out a newsletter every time, I think it's every couple days they send what's new. So when I see an update that Google has implemented that's really cool and might be useful, I can send that out, share it with staff, and that's really great information that normal people aren't getting, but I'm getting and I can disseminate that to them. And then the last thing is of course all those you know, certifications you can get, your Google certified teacher, and, you know, even most specific ed tech tools, you can, they have different names for them. They're not certifications, but, you know, sometimes they call them ambassadors, like Moat, right? You're a Moat ambassador, is that the term they use? Yeah, a lot of them are ambassadors, certified, there's tons of different jargon for it yeah but you gotta you gotta do those things so you can you know show people what you know and 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 actually be able to deliver when someone comes to you looking for help so that's what we put together for knowledge in the field very 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 important yeah so the knowledge in the field is basically building up your credibility and nick did a great job explaining some of the ways the next thing you have to have some type of a framework all right, that you believe in or that helps keep you organized. All right, the first two, I'm just gonna me mention the first two. We're not gonna get into the nitty gritty of any of these. Uh, I'm gonna mention the first two and then I'll get in the one that, that I kind of like the most. All right, the first one that you often hear of is TPAC. Well, I'll do both of them, TPAC and SAMR. So TPAC stands for Technological, Pedagogical, and Content Knowledge. Uh, SAMR stands for Substitution, Augmentation, Modification, and Redefinition. All right, out of these two, SAMR is the easier one to understand. Uh, I feel like SAMR is the go-to for a lot of people just because the simplicity of it. Uh, understanding that substitution is uh, taking something and substituting it for another thing. For example, we used to handwrite everything well, handwriting, the, the pencil is a tool. Instead, we're going to use a copier this time, and we're going to copy all the notes and send it out to people. All right, so all we did is substitute one technology for another technology. All right, so SAMR and TPAC often get compared, but their scope is uh, different. It's very different. So those are two that you could study. I would strongly suggest the technology integration matrix. You could go back to one of our earlier episodes. We talked about the technology integration matrix. All right, so it's just a matrix across the top. There are five different, uh, what we have is five different ways to learn with technology. 
And as you start from the left, it's more teacher-centered. As you go to the right, it's more student-centered. And on the left-hand side of it is five different learning environments. Okay, so when you look at this, you have 25 boxes. So I have in the show notes, I linked the technology integration matrix. I linked resources to SAMR and TPAC. But I like the technology integration matrix because it's the only one that takes in the learning environment with how it's being implemented into the classroom. Plus, the resources for the technology integration matrix, as I said, are linked in the show notes. It's an interactive 25 boxes, so five learning times five uh, ways to implement technology into the classroom. And in there, it gives you, if you click on any box within that matrix, it gives you the definition of what that room looks like, what the roles are, the teacher, the student, the classroom, the technology, all that. And then it gives you example lessons uh, for that learning condition uh, there. So technology integration matrix, uh, they give you as many resources as you want. There's infographics, everything to help you understand it, help you kind of push it out to your teachers. But it really challenges you to work on the right side of the matrix, which means students are taking, or they have autonomy in the technology use and how to learn in that learning environment. And that's where we want to kind of live. It doesn't mean that you can't have teacher-directed lessons. It just means that this is a way we're gonna organize it and we wanna challenge our teachers to get to that where the student is independent in their learning and the technology that they choose. Yeah, if you wanna feel, let's say you are a teacher who feels pretty confident in how you use ed tech. If you wanna feel, uh, I'll just say a little bit, I don't know, take yourself down a peg or two, go check out the technology integration matrix because it really, I mean, you said it best, it really challenges you and lets you know where you fall. And for me, every time I look at it, all I can think is, boy, I could be doing so much more. And that's good because as the tech coach, you wanna be in that position of knowing what's next. You know, just because everybody in your school knows how to access and use Screencastify, that's pretty nice in in an accomplishment in itself, but then you should be saying, what now? How do we take this further? and get more towards the right-hand side of this matrix where the students are the ones that are sort of running the show or deciding what tech to use or whatever it may be. I believe they, they even have like sample lessons. So if you're looking at a certain box of that matrix and you're thinking that is just, in, uh, some often what I'll think is that's impossible. There's no way that can be done. I don't even know what that would look like. They have sample lessons there uh, so you can check it out and see examples and then you read it and you're like, okay, it's not so bad. I could probably do it. So that's that's our favorite one for sure. But these frameworks are super important. The next one on the list, I'll just intro it and really I'll let you take it away because this is your whole jam. Uh, Dr. Geis is all about this third one, which we are calling the EdTech Integration Plan. Uh, A component of this was a part of your uh, doctorate a few years back, so I think it would be wrong of me to steal the show here. I'll, uh, like I said, just kind of, I'll, I'll tee you up. How's that? The EdTech Integration Plan. I appreciate it, but at the end, I'm going to throw it back to you because <laughs> you also have a way that we kind of integrated technology here at our high school, too. So the technology integration plan is problem solving. It's goal setting. So when I meet with a teacher to help them implement technology into the classroom, there's a certain way I like to do it. And sometimes it pans out, sometimes we have to do an abbreviated version of this, depending on when we're going to implement this technology or this lesson and uh, how early we kind of meet. Sometimes I, I meet with teachers early in the first quarter and we don't implement it until the third quarter. So we have a lot longer time to carry out this plan. Sometimes they want to do it next week. So depending, you know, the time frame, what level of uh, comfort that teacher has with technology. So if they're very tech comfortable, uh, we might be able to skip a couple steps. But if they're not, I like to kind of stick to my plan. So uh, in my dissertation, I worked with a one-to-one mentor-based learning system uh, 
with teachers who have Chromebooks in a one-to-one environment. And what I was doing is trying to figure out the efficacy uh, of teachers when they use this one-to-one mentor-based learning system. So basically the mentor-based learning system is consists of three steps. The first one is the learning stage. This is where the tech coach and the teacher meet and they learn about the situation. So what lesson does the teacher want to enhance with technology? Uh, And what is the content that they want to be portrayed in this lesson? And then what I do as the mentor is I have this collection of best practices that I brought into the classroom. I kind of explain those best practices or the technology that I bring in or the activity type that I bring in. And we kind of match up the content with an activity that we think that goes well. The second stage is the collaboration stage. This is where the teacher and the mentor work together to create an activity which is going to enhance the lesson and be implemented into the classroom. All right, this could take a lot of time. This could take not a lot of time. It could be uh, the teacher presents the content to the tech coach, and then the tech coach implements that into uh, the lesson. There's many different ways we could do this. Uh, And the last stage is implementation. This is where the teacher incorporates the enhanced activity into the lesson. Uh, The mentor is going to observe the lesson and collect data. And then the teacher and mentor meet and go over the observation. And this isn't something that we're evaluating the teacher. We're just providing feedback to the teacher. I guess that could be evaluation, but what I'm saying is is it's, it's a safe space because you are not a formal evaluator. This isn't something going in their file. This is where you're there in case they're struggling or if the lesson needs to go in a different direction and you're there to support that uh, process. So this whole three-step or three-stage uh, implementation uh, program can be expedited, obviously, uh, and there's several ways of doing this. So in the learning stage, that's a quick stage anyway, but In the collaboration stage, this is where it could be modified. Oftentimes, uh, teachers, they feel like they're crunched for time. So the first time I work with them, I will just ask them to go over the content with me. I will take that content, I will put it into the lesson, and then I will report back to that teacher with the activity, and then we will make changes. I do that for the first time we work together because I want them to trust me. I want them to build a rapport with me. After I work with them the first time, then it's more of a give give take. So it's more of a 50-50, or sometimes the teacher's just ready to, you know, take it and run. I'm just there to provide them guidance with the EdTech tool only, and they add the content. Also with the third stage, the implementation stage, there could be some modification there. If the teacher really isn't comfortable with the technology and they have three sections of the same class, well, the first section, maybe I am the one that's implementing it into the classroom. The second time, maybe we co-teach it. I let the teacher take the lead and then I'll just add in anything that needs to be added. And then the third time, the teacher takes over and I simply just observe. So that is the technology. mentor-based learning system. Yeah, I've seen you do this many times, and that's, this is, I think, where uh, you shine, and it's a great model to follow for anybody that is trying to do this. I would also say that part of the, the follow-up of that is you're going to have some teachers who jump on this right away and start meeting with you and implementing these things as you mentor them. Well, those teachers, they should then become mentors themselves as they become known as staff who use tech confidently, and then they can share what they're doing. And part of your plan should be communicating that out. Like, hey, here's this teacher who did this awesome lesson. Check it out, guys, and have a way to share that out with staff. Yeah, it's it's worked out. Like I said, the, the bare bones framework is there. 
uh, you kind of have to determine what level your teacher's at and implement it according to their level. So you always want to meet the teacher at the level that they're at, make them feel comfortable. All right, so you teed me up pretty well. I'm going to tee you up next. And oftentimes teachers want to be able to learn things on their own time. All right, and I know that you were, you helped uh, implement a system, uh, a badge system into our school. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the badge system and, and what that was all about? So this is sort of like a two-pronged approach, right? You've got the very hands-on mentor-based system and then the, uh, sort of on the back burner happening in the background, it could be a less hands-on approach or more of like an asynchronous approach where teachers can choose to earn badges in different technology. The idea is that you put together a series of, you know, we used Google Slides presentations with some simple links and videos, but any way that if I wanna learn about Screencastify, I have a resource, I can go check it out and answer a brief questionnaire following that. And if I fill out that questionnaire, it gets reviewed by somebody, and then I earn a Screencastify badge. These badges are local to your school. They don't mean anything outside of your school. It's just sort of a way to train people, uh, but giving them the freedom and the time to do it as, as they see fit on their own time. So that's, that's sort of a nice thing to have running in the background as you do other stuff. You know, I also wanted to add in here as part of your, I don't know if it's really an ed tech integration plan, but part of your plan should simply uh, be to, you know, enhance your availability. You gotta be approachable. People need to know where to find you. They need to feel like they can come talk to you. And, you know, if, if they don't feel like that, you're just, you're gonna have a tough time being effective because people need help and they wanna, sometimes they just wanna come complain about something that's not working. And even if you don't have a solution, you might have to be the person that they can voice that to. And that's all part of the job. So those are some great approaches there for getting that ed tech integrated into your school. And a big part of that, I guess, is this number four, really a part of your um, mentor-based system, is that when people come to you, you need to have some possibilities ready for them. So our number four on the list is called Organization of Possibilities. This means if someone comes to you looking for help implementing an ed tech-themed lesson, you gotta have something to offer them. And you know, some of our popular ones that we mention a lot are things like escape rooms, very fun, can be very tech heavy and make, you know, the tech allows it to be free, really, that's the main thing. So you don't have to pay anyone, you can make it yourself. Formative assessments, you know, annotating things digitally. And if you check out the show notes, we've got links to all this stuff here, all the ed tech that is gonna make these possible, like escape rooms is, can be done fully via Google, so sites, Google Sites where they, students can use uh, links to access resources and you can embed slides and images, forms of course uh, to substitute for your locks, Google Sheets, there's clever things you can do with Google Sheets where students can you know type in certain phrases as codes and the cells are changing colors, password protecting things like PDFs, uh, PDF Candy is a cool website that's going to allow you to do that. Within formative assessment, you guys know all the popular gaming tools, right? Like quizzes, Quizlet, GimKit. And by the way, I was playing around with GimKit recently. They have are they have some sweet games, like super fun. There's a fishing hole game where all the kids in the class log in, and they're just like walking around in this world, and you can choose to go to one spot of this this area where you answer questions, and as you answer questions, you you. I think you get money or something, but then if you have enough money, you go to the fishing hole and you fish for a little bit. It's just, I don't know. It's so, so cool. It was so fun. Uh, look at Quizalize. All those names have been out there for a while and continue to be awesome. Um, I'll cover one more of these and then kick it to you. Digital annotation. So, you know, students having the ability to get on with a, with a group and edit and share ideas. Uh, is great for that. Insert learning is awesome. Even some of your Google tools like Google Slides or Drawings, Jamboard's our favorite one uh, for how quick and easy and, and simple it is. But uh, there's tons of stuff out there. What are some other things we could list here for people? Yeah, well, before I go on with the list, this is a bunch of best practices that you have in your back pocket that you could share out with uh, other teachers. So 
Uh, other ones that I've recently done are QR code uh, scavenger hunts. Uh, we just implemented a murder mystery party uh, into one of our history classes. Uh, in one of my English classes, we did a Pecha Kucha, which is a presentation uh, where kids have 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide. There's no words on their slides, just pictures, and they have to tell a story. Uh, we make classroom games, whether it's a larger format, like Survivor or uh, Amazing Race or something like that, or something like a Jeopardy game or something completely made up. I know, Nick, you do a great job with these almost like a minute-to-win-it games in your classroom where they have to perform well with the content in order to earn a chance at trying to do something in a minute to earn points for their team. Uh, it's very collaborative, team-based, and it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, you've also implemented some stop-motion uh, into your class as well. These are just a couple of the activities that we put in our back pocket. Uh, there are several others. We also offer very simple options as well, uh, such as just getting the most out of Google Forms or Google Slides or Google Sheets. For example, in Google Slides, we do our gallery walk, our digital gallery walk in Google Slides. That's one that the teachers really, really enjoy, especially during uh, COVID times. They really enjoy that one. So that is, you know, just a little bit of how you can organize all the possibilities that your teachers can select from. And since you know the activity, they know the content after they explain the content, you want to kind of pare it down. Just pick three of those that you think would work extremely well with the content. Don't overwhelm the person that you're talking with or working with by giving them all 20 ideas. All right, so let's get into our fifth one, which is curation. So curation kind of goes with the last one. The last one was the activities, but the curation of EdTech tools is your ability as an EdTech leader, EdTech coach, or teacher that uses tech to work with technology and know its function, what its best practices. So... As a school district, you might have a list of school-approved EdTech tools that either has a subscription or is free, and you should know those. You should know everything that your, t that your district pays for, and you should try to use them if you see value in it and if it's going to enhance the lesson. Our biggest thing is we want to only use technology if it's going to enhance the lesson. We don't want to force technology into a classroom where it doesn't need to be. And that's our big takeaway here. So uh, make sure that you have a list of EdTech tools that you think are beneficial, that will enhance lessons, uh, use cases and how you would use them, and be able to talk about each one if need to, to somebody else to help them implement technology. and. Easy ways to kind of get your teachers on board is if you have some type of a single sign-on service for staff and students. So they only have to remember one username, one password, such as ClassLink and Clever. Those are both ones that our district uses, and it makes our jobs a lot easier. Yeah, you should get your staff involved in the process, too. They should have a way to request things that they want to use. If there's a subscription service that you know they really need or want, and maybe there's a pay fee for that, you should. They should. Everybody should know how to go about that process. Who do I email? Who do I ask? Where's the form? And depending on how strict your school is, which I'm guessing is pretty strict, that even goes just for simple approval. So that's part of curating too. Is teachers need to know how to add things they need to that list, and you got to make it easy for them. All right, so I kind of want to butt in here, yeah. and I know it's your turn to go, but earlier you uh, <laughs> you did two in a row, so I'm going to take two in a row, because this next one is kind of one of my favorites, um, and that's scheduling. You need to make sure you could tell people when you're available. Uh, one of the best ways to do this is using, when we have Chrome and Google here, so what I use is Calendly. And it's, it's uh, hyperlinked in the show notes. And this allows me to set out my schedule. And it connects to my Google Calendar. So anytime I add in an event, 
it will block out that time and it won't make it available for someone to book me in my calendar. I love Calendly for this. It is free, so go use it, all right? But the reason why I love scheduling so much is because often the flybys are the best way of doing it. A flyby is this. At the beginning of the school year, we have four letter days and we have a dropping schedule. You don't need to know what that is other than we have a lot of people in our hallways, a lot of different people at a lot of different times. So what I do is I go and I walk the halls and I write down who's stationed in the hallways during what period of the day. And then what I do is I try to work with people I've never worked with before. Once you work with them once, they'll come back. Oftentimes they come back. I'd say 90% of the teachers I work with come back and ask if we want to work together again. Uh, but what I do is I try to target the people I've never worked with before. And they're on hall duty. They can't get away from me. They can't go anywhere. So what I do is I uh, you know, take a little chair. I have this little, it looks like a little hammock looking chair. It's a quick stool that folds out. And I'll walk the hallways and I'll plop it right up next to anybody that's sitting there. And uh, I'll be like, hey, can we have a, I'll just start a conversation. Talk about something I know that we have in common or make something up to get them engaged with me. And then somehow I sneak it in that, hey, what, what are you working on in the next couple of you know, weeks? Or is there a lesson that you're not very excited about that you want to try to improve? All right, if I get them talking to me, I'm in. If they tell me, hey, I'm busy, go fly a kite, I'll go fly the kite, and when the wind settles down, I'll come back, and I'll start up a conversation with them until they tell me I'm not interested, and then usually I will revisit them sometime in the second half of the school year. But I have everybody written down. I have the conversations we've had. The first time I talk to them, it might be just to get to know them a little bit, and then I'll bring it up the second time we talk. So we build a little bit of a rapport. And then I'm working the ed tech angle after that and seeing if they want to work with me. That strategy is the best working strategy. I have a QR code that I put on the back of my, um, my school ID. That's the QR code that takes them straight to my Calendly. And I'll say, hey, just uh, take a picture of this or scan this and set up a time with me and we'll enhance your lesson with technology. Yeah, and you know, I'll use that as a jumping point into our ne our next one, number 7 technically, cuz it's very closely tied to everything you're talking about and that is communication. You got to have uh, really there's two methods of communication that need to be available, the synchronous and the asynchronous, the you know, so for that synchronous communication, it's kind of what you were just talking about, that face-to-face -face stuff perusing the hallways, just kind of dropping in, you know, even if there's like a certain time block of the day, and that's your drop-in time where you're just out there. You're just kind of walking around and people will, generally what will happen is they will see you and it reminds them, oh yeah, I'm having this problem or I have this question or, oh yeah, I want to do, you know, podca a podcasting project in a couple weeks, but you have to be out there for the face-to-face -face stuff. On the asynchronous side, of course, email. We always try and encourage email because if somebody can send you an email with a question, it really lets you think and reflect on like the best possible answer. Whereas if they're just grabbing you in the hallway, sometimes you may not know right off the top of your head and that can be stressful for both parties. But you know, make sure people know that email is a great option. We use screencasting a lot to share out things with people. and. You know, more and more, I am going with Screencastify as the option here just because it's so fast and so easy. If I need to explain something to a teacher, I'll usually do two things. I'll type out a very quick set of directions. So if they are more tech comfortable, they can just read it and do it. But I'll also put in a Screencastify video link so they can watch me go step by step. And that's in case they really have no clue what they're doing. And a big part of your job, too, in communicating is going to be putting together guides for people on how to do things, how to access this program, how to get into your ClassLink account and, you know, use the school's list of approved tech. And there's lots of services that can do this. I mean, mostly probably what we use is just Google Docs because of how editable they are. But there's tons of 
guide creation things out there like iorad is a very popular one scribe and tango are two others they all pretty much do the same thing and that is when you you know if you're putting together a series of how-to steps you're not recording a video you just go through and do the steps you click on this button click on this link type into this field uh, some certain text and these services are automatically capturing snapshots of what you're doing and automatically putting together the how-to guide. Hugely you know, beneficial in terms of time saving. So that's something you're gonna wanna check out. And you know, a lot of these are editable, so it's not like it's a one and done where you make it and then it just sits there. You can go back and change things as the tech changes so that your stuff stays up to date which is a whole separate issue of keeping your how-to guides up to date because that can be a massive task in and of itself. But some of those services can definitely make it nice and easy for you. So that's communication. Uh, with communication, one thing I like to do, especially on these tech integrations that take a little bit longer of a time or maybe we have a long time to implement them, I like to do little screen recordings to show the teachers that I'm working with the updates that we've made together. Uh, or to check in and say, hey, is this, is this what you're looking for content-wise? Does this fit? Does this meet your needs? And they like that because it kind of, until they know that you're working on it, it's, they're nervous. They're nervous about it. So allow them to know that you're working on it. Show them what you have along the way. Don't make it one big reveal uh, because they're gonna be anxious up to that point because they, they, they know that they're counting on you. They're leaning on you to get something implemented. They're trusting you. So ease their anxiousness a little bit by showing progress. All right, our next one's classroom management. I kind of talked a little bit about this solo teaching with support uh, and then also team teaching uh, or the tech specialist teaching. You could talk about that and how you're going to manage the classroom, how you're going to manage the lesson. But another thing I like to do is I like to model other ed tech tools that I use to cl for classroom management. The biggest one that we use is Classroom Q. It's a digital hand raising system that allows students to ask questions without raising their hand and waiting for the teacher to come over. When do you typically ask questions? Right as that activity is starting, you usually get five, six hands, and it takes a while for the teacher to go around. So by using Classroom Q, it allows a group of students or individual students to ask a question, and then you can see up on the board or on whatever digital device uh, that you have in front of you, if that same question is being asked over and over you could just stop everybody and explain at one time or if you present uh, the classroom queue screen up on your uh, you know wherever you do your presentations and the whole class can see it maybe other students can answer a question that another student has so that's classroom management uh, Nick I know the next one we are working to hone our craft on yeah, and it's, we've mentioned it a lot already, but it's so important. We thought it deserved its own heading here. That is making connections. This is part of many things we've mentioned, like building your PLN and so forth. Uh, but this means a lot of things. This means you got to get on social media because that's where stuff is being shared. You know, Twitter's the, I think, still the main place for educators. Um, Instagram is, I believe, growing, especially if you're in the elementary world. It seems to be a little bigger. You need to know what the common hashtags are for teachers and that it's a very fluid list. It's always changing. I put a link in the show notes uh, to a recent blog that talks about, uh, at least as of when we're recording this in 2022, the most common and best teaching hashtags to follow. So you can check that out. But that really helps, you know, for even just for your own posts to have those hashtags so people find you and reach out to you. It's a great way to start relationships and as always the best thing is to is to be active in your local ed tech professional development circuit you got to know what's out there you'll start to see the same faces you'll meet teachers in neighboring districts who are doing what you do and that has always been for us the most valuable stuff so um you know those are just some of the ways you can make these connections and i'll round out this list with probably one of the most impactful 
skills to have as a teacher, as a tech coach, as a student, anyone. And that's reflection. And reflection is deep. It's a very broad topic that has a lot of different avenues that you could go down. Uh, the first one is collect best practices. We mentioned this as a skill of having an organized list of best practices. Well, guess what? You could get these best practices, like Nick said, from social media, add them to your best practice. What I like to do when I find a best practice on social media, I like to reach out to that teacher or that ed tech coach or the administrator that used it and ask questions. Do you have something that you could share with me that I could see exactly what you've done? Are there steps? Are there precautions? That type of thing. And most people on Twitter, that's where I kind of reside in social media. They're very happy to help you. So collect best practices. Uh, showcase the accomplishments. This is huge. It's not about you, the person supporting the teacher. It's all about the teacher you supported. At the next faculty meeting, you know, share a couple pictures with the administrator. Ask them to put it up there. Take pictures while you're in the classroom with that teacher, showing them implementing technology, showing that activity, showcasing that teacher. And guess what? Everyone likes to be, uh, I I'm not going to say everybody because I'm a classic example where I don't, if I get some type of award, if someone says congratulations, I get all awkward. It's just how I am. Nick's the same way when he got Teacher of the Year. Even right now, me saying that, he's kind of telling me to be quiet. You can't see it, but I can. Uh, but teachers like to be seen, right? We, we like to, generally speaking, we like when we're used as an example, we like to know that we're doing a nice job and that it's noticed. So notice your teachers. I'll, I got to jump in there too, because there's another benefit to showcasing these accomplishments, and that is sometimes the, these, you know, ed tech lessons, people can view them as um, above and beyond, or not achievable, or I don't have time for that, or oh, who is actually doing that? And when you are sharing real teachers in your school that are really doing these things and are actually innovating, it kind of has this this effect of changing people's mindset like, oh, Mr. So-and-so just did a podcasting lesson for real. It's not just some, you know, blog post or newsletter that was shared and sounds super idealistic and people can brush it off as, yeah, whatever, that's not feasible for me. I work in the real world. You're kind of showing them like, no, this is the real world. There are actual people right here doing these things. It's not just me, the tech coach, spouting off ideas and saying, go ahead, figure it out. We're actually really for real doing it. And here's someone who did it. Go talk to them or come talk to me and I can help you imp implement it too. So sorry to interrupt, but I think that's a huge part of showcasing this stuff. Yeah. Oftentimes I might ask a teacher if I know that they're very excited about what they've done, what they have accomplished, I'll ask the teacher, Hey, in a future PD or something like that, would you mind sharing your story? Like, how you felt before we worked together, how you felt during and after, and just the process itself. And sometimes in a faculty meeting, I'll have a teacher stand up and kind of say what we did and what their main takeaways are. Something under a minute or two. If there's any questions, we'll fill those. But getting people to talk about the collaborations is going to have other people wanting to collaborate. You've built that community of trust and everything. Uh, the next thing is to share with your PLC and your colleagues. I kind of did that with the, the whole uh, faculty meeting example, but there are other avenues where you can share. Uh, we also have something called a pineapple chart. So any teacher that we work with that feels comfortable to share their tech lesson, anytime they implement technology, they'll put a pineapple out on their door. We'll try to send something out to the staff saying, hey, someone is doing this type of lesson. And then uh, if someone wants to come by, sneak in the back of the classroom and kind of observe as they're implementing tech, that's great. And then the last thing we do is collect feedback. All right, maybe on their next assessment, teachers put on the last question like, hey, for one point or for a bonus point or something like that, talk about 
this activity we did, what did you like? What didn't you like? Uh, would you recommend this activity to next year's class? Things like that. Uh, also collect teachers, the teacher's experience. This doesn't need to be written. It doesn't need to be formal. Just ask them a couple questions. When you, when you, after the lesson and you talk about things we could do different or the pros and cons, just ask them, you know, what was your experience like? Would you recommend this to other teachers? Stuff like that. And then also make improvements yourself. As the ed tech coach, what worked, what didn't work. It's just like lesson plans that you would use for your regular classroom. Go in, make changes. That best practice, we did something cool, we added something new. Put that in your organization of activities that you can present to teachers as possible uh, activities to implement into your classroom. So there you go, tech coaches. That's how you are going to be great at your jobs. Just do all 10 of those things, which I know we made sound kind of easy here today, just listing them out, but uh, trust us, there's a ton here. We are always working to be better at these things and going through this list today, I know for me personally, it just kind of reminds you of places that you need to do better and that you plan to do better, but that's part of the job too. That's really what you just went over is reflecting and you know, making a plan for how to be as effective as possible. So hopefully it was helpful. I'll close this episode out because we're just about out of time uh, by saying our usual comments of subscribe, please, on Apple would be best. You can find us a lot, everywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Uh, subscribing on YouTube is, maybe, I don't know, maybe second best to subscribing on, on Apple. Maybe better, who knows? But do both of those for us. On Twitter, you can find us at Nick Got Teched, at Geist Got Teched, at We Got Teched, and Facebook at We Got Teched as well. Um, if you really like the show, you can do a, a Apple podcast review. Tell your friends about GotTeched.com and our show and all EdTech podcasts. And um, if you're going to do all that, you can also check out the Teach Better podcast network that we are very proud to be a part of. Um, you'll find our show there as well as many other awesome educational podcasts. And with that, we are closing out episode 115. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.